Welcome back to the Symmetry Delta podcast for evidence-based investing. I'm Casey Dillon, your host. This is a continuing part of a conversation with Tom Romano, Director of Sales Operations at Symmetry and architect of many of the strategic planning uh, value-add services that have been rolled out over the years at Symmetry on mapping your company's competitive advantage and developing a targeted business strategy. So, so at this point, we've, we've been talking uh, fairly high level, fairly generically about what the process looks like, the tools, the techniques and stuff. I think it might be instructive to, to take one facet, right, and maybe walk through it. So technology, sure. right? We know technology is, as a force uh, is um, dislocating, <laughs> uh, and has the potential to further dislocate vast uh, aspects of our industry, right? So let's let's talk about that. As as a firm looks at that, first, what are the trends they need to get their arms around, and then how do they think about where they are relative to sort of spending on technology and and, and kind of plotting that? So so let's kind of talk about the trends itself. Sure. No, that's actually a really good one. We did a, a strategy canvas for an advisor um, that works with us a, a couple of months ago, and that was one of the, the factors of competition. And what's interesting is this particular advisor is, is a smaller practice. It's the advisor with an assistant. Healthy book of business, growing, um, but their competition is, is very different than they are. They compete with a much larger RIA, multiple IARs, Huge, beautiful building, investing tons of money in technology. All right, uh, and this particular advisor, before we started going through this exercise, said, "There's no way I'm going to be able to compete with those guys." And my response is, "Well, there's no way you're going to be able to compete with their size because you're not aspiring to be that big, but you do want to be able to compete with them. Let's find out something else that you can compete with." And so, going through his strategy canvas, we found that this particular advisor. Um, because he was an, a, a sole individual, was providing very hands-on service. He would talk to every single client, return every single phone call, whereas the competition, when the client calls in, might not get the lead advisor every single time. Like I said, nothing wrong with that. Different business models, both very successful. Um, and so we said, well, let's focus on your, your marketing efforts and, and where you're spending your resources on the fact that you're the, the guy who's gonna take care of the clients and you alone are gonna take care of the clients. In order to compete with the technology spend of the competition and to compete with um, the nice beautiful office, um, that particular advisor decided to leverage symmetry, meaning he's leveraging our technology, he's leveraging our portal, those clients are logging in, getting somewhat of a online solution, I wouldn't say digital, not yet anyway, um, but that brought him up to a satisficing level. Now, is he competing with that other firm? No, so, not on that particular factor, but he's able to stay in the game on that particular factor. Okay, you use the word satisficing. Yes. So I want you to define that for me. What does satisficing mean? There are certain things that you need to do at a satisfactory level, a satisficing level, if you will. It's just a fancy way of saying that. Uh, I think someone actually might have won an award for coming up with that term at one point. Um, but to break it down very basically, um, if I'm in the business of creating laundry detergent, the one thing I have to do at a bare minimum, at a satisficing level, is clean. <laughs> 
if I can't do that, well, then I'm going to lose no matter what I'm investing my resources on, you know. And so in today's world, I'm looking at the pressures coming from the outside and the way technology is really seeping into an advisor's business. Some advisors are deciding to spend a ton of money on technology because that is what they're going to compete with. And other advisors, like the gentleman I'm talking to, he's better suited competing with that individual personalized service, but bringing his technology build up to a satisficing level by partnering with other people. Right, which suggests that there is a minimum threshold that you must meet, right, to, to satisfy the expectations of clients. In certain factors. Right? Absolutely. And what we observe in technology specifically is that is a pretty steep curve. That level of satisfaction continues to get tougher and tougher and tougher as technology becomes more pervasive, as millennials move in uh, uh, that demographic and become more important for advisory firms to work with, right? The expectations for, I want to be able to get my fingertips on it immediately. I want comprehensive data, right? I want to be at a, at a scattershot, be able to see the totality of my, you know, my experience. That is a tougher and tougher threshold just to satisfy, right? And so the, so the question then becomes, right, if, if we identify that technology spend is an issue and, and we identify that there's a certain level that is satisficing, beyond which or below which you, you have to come up the curve on, and your business model suggests, well, I don't need to be the guy in town who spends the most money on technology, but I need to be at a certain level. All of a sudden now you start to recognize that either there's a gap or I'm happy with where I am, but it's a curve. So I have to continue to ratchet up spending in this particular area. And my choices are buy it, build it, outsource it. You know, what, what is the appropriate strategy for the individual or the firm? Right. And so that conversation then leads you to a I know what's going on in, in the market with the trends. I know where I am relative to my peers. And I know what I have to do on a go forward basis from sort of a strategic allocation of budget resource and or partners that I have to go out and find. Right. To, to help me either buy, build or whatever the case may be. Yeah, right? absolutely. And the only way you're going to know that is, like I said, in the beginning, you got to do the upfront homework. You got to be a student of the industry. You got to know what your clients want. Um, I always encourage advisors to do things like survey your clients, do it annually they'll tell you what you need to be doing and it goes a long way um, there's something to be said about getting getting your consumers your customers to um, to have a voice in your business through things like a client survey and when they speak up and then you listen and you act that's a really that's a really good thing and it really goes a long way in helping with these types of exercises on knowing what your clients value the most and how do you amplify that perceived value or not perceived value but actual value so uh, I know that you work with thousands of advisors and firms across the country as it pertains to the strategic choices that are being made by these folks. What are the common trends you're observing right now? What what really are you seeing out there that seems to have some commonality in response to some of these forces that we see sort of impacting uh, the industry? Sure. I mean, there's a number of things that, that come to mind. Um, one of the things, and I'm a, a complete advocate for this, is that the advisors that I've done these types of exercises with no doubt are bringing a ton of value to their clients. 
I think these discovery exercises shine a light on where that value comes from. And I think these exercises help the advisor articulate that value in a way that they haven't been able to do before. Um, I think it also shines a light on helping the advisor to pay attention a little bit more of what the competition is doing. And I think it helps them bring focus to what they should be doing. Um, there's a lot of different practices out there, a lot of different businesses. Um, the RIA market specifically is very fragmented. You know, I've used the term before, they're all snowflakes, meaning there's no two alike. There are similarities, um, but they have very different business models. And so these types of uh, exercises can, can help flesh some of that out, uh, in my opinion anyway, and I've seen it work. So what is the frequency that you would recommend? people you know invest the time into revisiting things like a strategic canvas doing the mapping of positioning and then developing business strategies i think every two to three years is what you need to do because once you come up with your your canvas and you figure out what your objectives are for the next 12 to 24 months um, as you're moving down those paths um, to achieve those objectives um, the industry changes pretty quickly, and it's changing faster and faster. So um, there's a couple of RIAs I work with that bring me in every couple of years to, to revisit and go through this. And, and sometimes it changes significantly, and sometimes it doesn't change too, too much. Um, but you have to go through the exercise, and you have to know what's going on. And it keeps the whole firm, the whole staff, kind of in the loop of what's going on. And so I think that makes a lot of sense. So, uh, you know, we, we've talked a lot about uh, research that we've observed out in the industry. And, and one statistic uh, has really kind of stood out for us. I know we've talked historically about uh, Cerulli coming out and, and making this, the bold statement that in the next, you know, three years, 50% of advisors will be out of this business, right? That that is, that is the significance of the forces that are, are at work impacting our industry. And so... As we look out at the number of firms and advisors who are engaging in a thoughtful uh, planning slash strategy uh, development, how many of the advisors and firms that you work with engage in that versus don't? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Um, you know, Cerulli's remarks, I think, really come from sort of a regulatory shift more so than anything else. And the DOL um, has come and gone already. Now, I think what that has done is shine a light on a, a fiduciary standard that may or may not be there, but that's, what the way, that's the way people are thinking right now. And so... Well, and I would make the case that uh, it's actually the cat's out of the bag, right? And now the states have, have picked up the mantle. And we may look back and and think of what opportunity missed the DOL represented, right? Because at least then it would have been one rule at sort of a federal level. If California and New York and Massachusetts and Connecticut all decide to start passing their own rules with a hodgepodge of the, the, the complications become profound, right? And so, I mean, I would say, yeah, the, the DOL may be dead, but boy, the fiduciary rule is not going away anytime soon. Right, exactly. And, you know, the, the, the broker-dealers that we partner with are doing a great job in getting their advisors to think more of a, an advice model versus a product model 
fees versus commissions. Um, there is definitely a push uh, on that. And I think it's a push that's been probably going on for, gosh, almost two decades now, if not longer. You know, there's been the sort of this push to fee-based business. And um, what investors need and what they're looking for is good advice at the end of the day. Sure, the product, there's products to kind of fulfill that advice. Um, but being compensated on advice and making that change is very important. And there's a lot of advisors that call us up even today, call us up and say, hey, I need help transitioning my business from uh, a kill, uh, eat what you kill mentality to I need a little bit more of a sustainable income stream. I want to, you know, January 1st, I want to kind of get an idea of what I'm going to earn in the next year and kind of removing that sort of um, ambiguity in compensation. Uh, but, you know, Casey, you and I have been saying this all along. It's like, forget what the regulators say about a fiduciary standard. I think a fiduciary business model is a good business decision. You know, how about that? Doing what's best for the client is a good business decision. You know, forget what the regulators are doing. I think there's something to be said about that. And the advisor we work with definitely embrace that. And there are some that have made the transition to fee-based to fee-only. We do see this transition of advisors. Um, becoming more RIA-like, even while maintaining their IBD affiliation. Um, and there's some folks that are a little bit behind the curve, in, 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 in my opinion, they need to get moving, and they need to get moving quickly. I mean, this is two decades in the making. What are you waiting for? So I noticed you sort of dodged my question, which is how many are actually really doing this planning process, really rolling up the sleeves and doing the work to develop a strategy that they can execute over a 12 to 24 month period. I, I don't have a number for you, but it is very few. Very few are, are, are thinking about their business this way. Um, you know, it's it's a very profitable business to be an advisor and, and, and give advice. And a lot of times those profits can um, mask inefficiencies, if you will. And I frequently run into, well, you know, I'm making a lot of money. I'm doing well with my clients. My clients are happy. Why should I make a change? And uh, I hear that more times than not. Interesting that uh, you hear that after a, you know, long bull run in the market where market effects are hiding a lot of the questionable management decisions, right? In 2008, I guarantee you weren't hearing that statement. That's a fantastic observation. You're absolutely right about that. I did more strategy canvases and more dialogues with advisors on what they need to, choose, to do to their business to become competitive after the crash than I've had in the last three years. <laughs> You're absolutely right about that. You know, it's... Uh, it's an interesting observation, but you're, you're right about that. You know, everyone's happy when the market's doing well. Uh, but in reality, it's not always going to do well. We're going to see a, a correction. It, it, I'm certain it'll happen. I don't know when. And I think that advisors that are doing the planning now will be better suited when that correction comes instead of trying to patch the boat back up after the crash. Yeah, so my, my purpose in sort of mentioning the Cerulli 50% advisors get out, hey, look, we, we don't know if that's right, right? We, we don't know if it's 50%. What we do know is if you're one of the handful of firms that is really taking a very serious and thoughtful approach to doing some uh, mapping of where you are and some uh, really uh, intense strategy work, just taking the time to do the work, you are much better positioned than everybody else who's not doing that. 
right? Whatever that survivability statistic is, you're on the leading edge of not only being able to thrive uh, or survive through that period, but then thrive coming out the other end, right? To your point, the market cannot go up in perpetuity, right? That's just not how markets work. And so is your business well positioned to sustain a down market against increased technology spend, increased regulatory spend, increased competition on margin compression, right? All of these things still going on, and now you're making less money, right? Because the market's down. Now how is the health of your business? And, and if you haven't had the serious conversation around that, we would encourage you to think about and do that. Yeah, it's like I said, if the world's moving faster outside than it is inside, and in this industry, that tends to happen a lot. You know, the market's pretty fickle. Um, you got to be prepared. And the interesting thing about it too, Casey, and I've said this to a lot of advisors, is that a lot of advisors experience a lot of growth after a downturn because money's in motion. You know, and if you do, and it, if you're not positioned to capitalize on that, then then you're going to miss out. You know, with with something uh, as threatening as a market downturn, a lot of that can turn into opportunity. You just got to be ready for it. Right. If you've laid the groundwork. Correct. Yeah, for sure. Final thoughts on uh, mapping position strategy work, you know, using this as a competitive advantage. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we talked a lot about some of the things that, that we do here at Symmetry for, for advisors. Um, in, in just in parting, Symmetry is not the only player out there. There's a lot of resources out there for advisors. We happen to do it one way, and we happen to help a lot of advisors that way. Uh, but utilize your resources that you have out there. Like I said, there's some great work coming from some of the custodians out there. Um, there's plenty of uh, trade rags that'll show you trends in the industry, what other advisors are doing, uh, and lean on your business partners. You don't have to go it alone. Um, Sure, I'd love to have it if everyone came to us, but there are a lot of resources out there. And I think that as an advisor, you need to just always be thinking about the business. You know, you're, you're a business owner and, and you have to think about it that way. Otherwise, it's just it's just a cash flow model. Yeah, and it's a cash flow model that uh, has the potential to be impaired at a moment's notice. Correct. Right. Okay. Tom, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. Uh, as always, appreciate your insights. Uh, and thank you for joining us. Hopefully you heard something here today that you find useful or at least puts you on a path to engaging in a thoughtful and serious process on mapping your competitive position, developing um, a strategic game plan. If you need any help with that, we stand ready to... Uh, assist in that process for you and leverage the expertise of individuals like Tom who, who have done this for years for uh, many successful firms. So thank you again, and we look forward to partnering with you in the future. Thank you very much for listening to the Symmetry Delta podcast for evidence-based investing. Visit us at www.symmetrypartners.com. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn under Symmetry Partners, LLC. If you have any questions or would like more information, give us a call at 800-786-3309. Symmetry Partners, LLC is an investment advisor firm registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. The firm only transacts business in states where it is properly registered or excluded or exempted from registration requirements. 
No one should assume that future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, product, or non-investment related content made reference to directly or indirectly in this material will be profitable. As with any investment strategy, there is the possibility of profitability as well as loss.